podcast. I'm Colin. Today I'm joined by Nick. How's it going, Nick? How's it going, man? It's it's going. I uh I didn't watch Chaos Walking this weekend, so feeling pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it seems like everyone who actually did watch that uh, is having a terrible time. So shout out to them. <laughs> um, I actually had like a pretty pretty pleasant uh watch this week. So you know it was a big week. Um, like really one of the biggest weeks we've had in a long time. So we had WandaVision, which is basically an Avengers movie at this point. Uh, we had Raya and the Last Dragon. Uh, we had Coming to America with the number, not not the word to. Um, we had Chaos Walking. Um, and then there's just been like a handful of limited stuff that's been expanding and, and just new content everywhere. Um, so, yeah, let's let's go ahead and jump into WandaVision since that's kind of the big one. So this was the season finale of WandaVision. There's no secret 10th episode like a lot of people kind of thought was going to happen, which I'm kind of glad <laughs> for. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that since this episode was called the season finale, um, that it is uh, the actual season finale. That's um, great. So uh, great, <laughs> great detective work by you. <laughs> I uh, took me a long time to put that together. But... <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's the end of WandaVision, maybe forever. Um, since this was originally pitched as just like a limited series kind of thing. Um, they've been pretty, pretty upfront about saying that a lot of the Disney plus shows, at least on the Marvel side, are just going to be one season experiments. Um, so let's, before we talk about kind of the show as a whole, let's just go ahead and jump into the finale. So what were your thoughts on that last episode? Yeah, I feel like we've, I've talked about this with you offline where I feel, I don't watch enough TV, so I really struggle to kind of watch each show and then provide the proper context for those shows and how I feel about the series as a whole. So I feel like throughout the series, I've come on here and been like, yeah, this show's pretty fun. I enjoy a lot of what's going on. All the performances are great, and some of the emotional moments moved me. Um, but then I watched this finale, uh, which... I thought was just pretty generic Marvel stuff. Um, just kind of getting rid of all of the interesting, possibly weird stuff and kind of just going for, let's shoot energy beams at each other. Uh, and then it's over. And then, so I feel like that really um, does color or recolor a lot of what I felt about this show as a whole. I, I don't, like I, I look back on how I felt about certain sequences based on the finale. And I think, did I actually enjoy it as much as I did? Um, and I don't know if that's the finale's fault or if it's just the finale helped me realize that I didn't like the show as much as I was suggesting in earlier episodes. But um, I thought it was, it's just, it's, I feel like it's par for the course for Marvel. I can't really say, I, I, I feel weird going, leaving a Marvel the property and saying that was the worst thing ever. Cause they're like, they're, they're inoffensive. They're, they're very innocent. They're, they're fun. Like they have fun people doing quippy things. Like it's hard. It's really hard to get riled up about that from my perspective. But, um, I feel like there was a possibility of something a lot more here with WandaVision that we didn't quite get in the end. So, um, I, I feel kind of lukewarm about it. I think I gave it a good old three out of five on Letterboxd, so I'd recommend it, but I'm just not, I'm just not particularly crazy about it. Yeah. I think this episode was definitely the weak point of the season. Um, and we'll kind of break it apart here a little bit more um, after we get out of our general reactions. But yeah, I, I felt kind of the same way where I was, I was really on board with 
really everything until um, everything through this, uh, the first eight episodes. And then this just kind of went back to the usual Marvel play box um, and, and a lot like Black Panther, um, where it's like, wow, this is really unique and original. And then it just ends in a big CGI fight. Uh, which is fine. Like that's going to happen in really any big budget um, superhero or fantasy, you know, whatever genre, if it's a big studio temple at some point, some CGI colors are going to attack some other CGI colors. <laughs> um, but, but it just felt like this was really low stakes when a lot of this show was focusing on what the emotional stakes are for Wanda, who's a character who has had a lot, but we've never really explored. And I feel like this, this episode in particular didn't really do service to everything else um, that that the season did. And I also feel like there was a weird lack of using any of the other characters. Um, so in particular, like all of the sword characters, like uh, Kat Dennings is in this episode for maybe like 10 seconds. Um, and you're just wondering what <laughs> the point of her. <laughs> it's and, so true. Yeah. <laughs> what the point of her character and Jimmy Woo, like what did they accomplish? Um, you know, with Monica Rambo, like it makes sense. She kind of gets through to one at one point. Um, and then it obviously is ushering her into Captain Marvel too. Uh, but for these other two, you're like, I mean, it was nice to see you again, but like, what, it, what function did you serve? Um, and I think, I think this episode really serves you some half-baked underhanded villains. Um, one I think is slightly better than the other. I think Agatha was at least a little more rounded. We knew kind of what she wanted. And then Hayward is just like this very generic military. Yeah, I want to have a weapon kind of guys, yeah. which, you know, who knows how many Transformers movies we've seen that in. So far, but. <laughs> yeah, it's there's one part in the episode where uh, Monica did something and helped out. I think it was right after she stopped um, Hayward Hayward's bullets um, from hitting the kids. And so then wanda and agatha like go up into the sky and they're having this big cgi energy beam fight around this red sky and then they cut back to monica who seems like she didn't move at all like she was just <laughs> there for 20 minutes <laughs> i was like just what what were you doing this entire time you're just standing there watching just chilling having some popcorn um yeah it was it felt like they had so many different characters that I don't know, it's weird saying that I feel like they could have extended this maybe an episode or two, but it did feel like it was pretty rushed there at the end because it had to answer just about every single question this of this entire season that we had. Um, but I feel like it had to just jumble so many different parts together that it kind of went with the easiest decision each time. Like, I feel like with we have, we have a second vision, we have white vision here, who is just... <laughs> um, you could have done something a little more interesting, but he's literally just like, oh, he's a weapon that we have now. We're going to use him. And then uh, he shoot both visions shoot um, energy out of their heads and they do the thing. One second. Can we can we quit doing this in in a franchises where two things shoot energy at each other and then <laughs> they, it meets in the middle and then one part gains more more power. So then the energy beam like flows closer to the other person to hurt them. I feel like I've seen that in so many movies where there's like the end of like Harry Potter or like when they're shooting the wands at each other. I just can't, I, blame, I can't, <laughs> I can't deal I, with it anymore. I blame David Yates 
because uh, in the Harry Potter books that happens one time and it's like a very specific thing and then in the book J.K. Rowling's like this is the only reason why this happened and then in the movies they're like what if we made every fight like this it's literally <laughs> just like <laughs> it's so it's so lame because it all of it is like it's like it looks like someone just grunts a little harder which makes the power go further towards their villain or towards the opponent and it's like oh okay so I just you have to concentrate harder then you could win I feel like it's just very boring. Um, but anyway, back to back to Vision. It, it felt like there was going to be something a little different there, but then literally, so they fight, they shoot energy at each other, and then um, I guess he's still fake Vision, but we'll call him real Vision, the one that's not controlled by sword. Um, he basically was like, hey, can we stop a second? I'd like to talk to you about philosophy. <laughs> and they have the whole ship of uh, Theseus conversation. And then Vision's like, oh, yeah, just kidding. I don't want to hurt anybody. I'm just going to fly away. And then that's over. So we kind of set up this. He's not a big bad, but we set up for this big conflict. And it feels so rushed. And then all of a sudden, he's just gone. It's like, what? Like, what? Like, what did we what did we do here? What did we really accomplish? And really, it just seems like all of that served to, to say that basically Vision's not dead. He's going to come back and all of this grief that Wanda's been dealing with and the where the show seemed to have been going where she was going to have to make a decision on whether or not to give up her previous life to move forward and start to heal as a human or as a witch um she had to she would have to give all of that up to start her new life um which is good and I think that's really interesting growth but now it just seems like oh we can bring vision back so it's not really that big of a deal so she didn't really sacrifice much as a hero so, I don't know. I just kind of feel like it undercuts a lot of what the move, the show was trying to work with with Wanda because I feel like she ends up ends up not really making that hard of a choice if we can just bring Vision back in the end. So, I mean, she's more powerful now and she has a cool costume, so that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I just question. I leave this questioning just exactly. Did she actually grow much? Because I feel like the last episode doesn't really deal with her grief very much in terms of just saying of Catherine Hahn being like the the emperor just being like good give me your power <laughs> kind of thing um so i don't know i just i still don't know if i have a good grasp on her but maybe that's just me yeah i think agatha really undercut wanda um just as like a villain um cuz really wanda is the antagonist for a lot of this show um and then wanda also really didn't have any stakes at all like she kidnapped and enslaved like three thousand people um she got a cool hat out of it and now she has a book that's (laughs) going to teach her how to use her magic (laughs) and her husband's still alive just in a different form the second post-credit scene like gives a nod that her kids are probably still um like existent in some form um she doesn't get in trouble like the the one person who is like, hey, I'm gonna stop you because you don't have you don't know how to use your power, so I'm gonna take it. Which is somewhat villainous, but still like I I, I know Agatha's like the villain of the show, but I still don't think she's much of a villain, like in the context of yeah. things. Cause all she really did was like break Wanda out of figuring out that hey, you're actually enslaving these people. And there's like a big moment, um, which I don't think really gets followed up on at all, um, in this episode where uh, all Agatha starts freeing all of the townspeople from 
Wanda's little spell and they all start confronting her and they're like, I just want to see my kid. Like I can't sleep anymore. Like I'm seeing your nightmares. Um, and then Wanda's like, what are you doing? And then Agatha's like, you did this to them. I'm like, okay, that could be something for like Scarlet Witch to wrestle with or to, you know, be punished for or something like that. And they're just like, nope. And then at the end of the show, Wanda like flies in and they're all looking at her again. And she's like, uh, talking to Monica, Monica's like, they'll never understand what you had to go through. And I'm like, what, what she had to go through? Like <laughs> these people have been enslaved for like nine weeks at this point, having someone like molecularly change their reality every day. <laughs> their kids have been locked in their bedrooms. Like <laughs> <laughs> I, I, th- I, th- when that, when they actually tried to explain that away, cause I think Monica's like, Oh, you, they'll never understand all the sacrifices you made for them. I was like, what <laughs> you literally just enslaved these people. And then every time they got out of the trance, they were just yelling about how much their brain hurts <laughs> for being in this trance for so long. Like, re- like realistically, like she's a monster to all these people, but I don't think the, the show doesn't really want you to think about that too much it's like ah yeah she has she has growth don't worry about all these other people they're okay now they're free to go um and so that left me uh, a little cold that was i was like wow all these people just were slaves for so so long and then they don't even get they don't, they don't even get wanda saying i'm sorry <laughs> yeah it's like, I was like wow <laughs> what are we doing here she literally just flies off to go become even more powerful like mm-hmm. no stakes like everybody that she thought she had lost she can get back like she didn't get arrested the government's not after her like the blame got pretty easily shifted towards agnes and hayward like she has no consequences um despite doing one of the worst things we've seen anyone do in the mcu like probably next to ultra or not ultron uh thanos (laughs) yeah or tony making ultron or something (laughs) like that but yeah it's just it's weird because I think about the growth of the character where we ultimately end up with her just being more powerful, I guess. But the the show basically ends with, I'm going to leave now and learn like who I am, kind of. So it's you, when you think that of that in context of the show, it really the show just kind of gave you more understanding of where she comes from. But we're going to have to wait for more and more... Um, like stories with her to actually get like the payoff on that growth. So it really, it feels like the, like her character arc is really more in service of Marvel's overall plot as a whole. Cause like all of these movies with a few exceptions, like your black Panthers and all that are mostly just about themselves. Like it's plot, 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 just moving on to the next thing, gets you excited for the next thing. Um, so I kind of feel like that's how this movie, this function in the end. So it's really just like, hey, come back next time. Wanda is going to be really powerful and learn about her stuff. And she's going to fit into all these other different stories. So it really does feel like at the end of, at the end of this, it really did feel like the hamster wheel. Where we, just keep, we just keep going round and round and round where ultimately the show is getting you more excited for things that haven't come out yet. And a lot of other Marvel properties are also doing the same thing where they're like setting up all of this stuff to come later. Um, so, I mean, you have your payoffs, like your end game and your infinity wars and all that. And that was fun. Um, but I don't know if maybe this is, this might be another me problem, but I don't know if I can take doing this kind of the same thing over and over again. Um, so it's, I think that's something I'll have to wrestle with as a viewer, but well, the show has been, yeah, go ahead. I think part of it is, is we're also getting this outside of its initial release schedule. 
So this was originally supposed to end like the week before Doctor Strange 2 came out, which she's a big part of. So I feel like that also plays into things is, yeah, this is still like set up. Come see the next thing. But I think originally the next thing was supposed to be literally the next thing and not something that's coming out. Yeah. What? That's 18 fair. months from now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I think that's really fair too, but I don't know. I feel like I keep looking for some sense of, sense of like closure, even like within just the show itself, I'm looking for like some kind of end point or some kind of um, just resolution that feels like earned instead of just, come back next time so i don't know like i don't know it just i really struggle with that sometimes with marvel where it really feels like some of their stuff is very much a placeholder for cool things to come so i hope that doctor strange 2 is really cool it looks sounds like it's going to be fun but um i don't know i feel like i'm being really negative here but i just have a lot of frustrations about this show even though i do like a lot of it it's i feel like a lot of the stuff that I'm negative about really weighs me down and how it in colors. Yeah. So I think, I think Wanda's emotional arc was pretty intact um, until really throughout most of this episode. Well, the problem is, you know, once she makes that decision to, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice my family. I'm going to let these people go. Um, choose to face my, my grief and, and kind of move forward. It, it just opens the doors for all those things she gave up. So it's like, we're going to take these things away from here. From you but here have them right back because we still want you to be able to to have everything while still being somewhat of a more rounded um character so i i think this finale worked until it decided that it wanted to undo itself um yeah and keep things the same really um so that wanda and vision can move into the same um path like you know vision's still out there he's sort of regaining his memories he'll probably be um, regular vision colors again the next time we see them probably yeah um, Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen aren't going anywhere so it just felt like they they cheapened the impact of everything they set up yeah because that that final moment where it's all the like the red is kind of closing in on them and they're in the house having their final conversation that would have been so like pretty pretty thoughtful and emotional if that was the last time they were going to chat but we know that with a white vision leaving like he's going to come back and they're going to have maybe they'll have some time where um scarlet witch has to like help this new vision realize who he is and regain all of his memories and there might be something there that they'll have to grow with together but he's going to be back it'll he'll be vision again paul bettany will be out here once again so um, it does. It definitely does cheapen it, and I feel like that's Marvel, Marvel's formula in a lot of ways, where they are really good at keeping all possibilities open uh, for themselves. Because for one, that just allows this the MCU to keep going and going forever and ever. Uh, so when people die, they're not particularly dead. They can always be brought back through some crazy bumbo jumbo. And now that we're going more into magic stuff, I'm sure that that will be more of a possibility now as well where anybody can be brought back at any time. So uh, for that sense, it just keeps the longevity of the MCU fully intact. We, this can keep going for, for as long as they want all these actors to go. And the only way that they'll get killed, they'll get killed off or they'll age really rapidly in the, in the Chris Evans <laughs> case is when 
uh, their contracts are reaching an end and these actors are kind of fed up with playing these characters. And then, then at that point, they'll say, okay, now we can kill you off. Those are really the only instances where I feel like there will be some kind of stakes in this because you can even go back to Infinity War when everyone gets uh, snapped. We knew they were coming back in one way or another, <laughs> right? Like It was just a matter of waiting a year to find out how that would actually happen. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a fine line. I totally get it from a business perspective because for Disney, that this is their flagship property now, right? Like they're going to put all the Marvel stuff until the Disney rides and all that, all that. And there'd be movies and TV shows until we're long gone from this world. <laughs> uh, so they want to keep this going as, as long as possible. And the fan base will grow through across multiple generations. So I get it from that sense, but I think it really, when you're looking at it um, from the Martin Scorsese perspective of capital C cinema, uh, it does it does uh, leave you wanting a little bit because you feel like it cheapens the emotional stakes of it all. Um, but I, it's 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 a tough thing. I think I'll continue to struggle with as we go to phase four, five, six, and seven on of Marvel because I feel phase like this 20. is yeah, really, <laughs> it'll just keep going. I feel like that's just it's just something that I'm always going to struggle with. Where it is does should do the emotions I'm feeling in a given scene, do they mean anything? Because does this really have any finality to it? Um, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough one to parse through. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we close the book on WandaVision, I do want to talk about those uh, Sam Raimi nods though. Cause you know, me, I'm a bit, I'm a big Sam Raimi boy. <laughs> um, but there were, there were two in particular that I caught on. Uh, did you did you catch those? Probably not. Please enlighten me. Uh, so the first one was like pretty basic. It was just they threw up the Oz the Great and the Powerful. Oh yeah, that's title right. In the I did notice that one. Yeah, which was the last thing he directed. Um, but the second one was pretty much the entire second post credit scene, um, where they kind of start off with that weird, like Sam Raimi track zoom where he's like, oh right, hand holding yeah. the camera in weird ways, which is what made him really famous for and evil dead. And then just like that whole cabin, um, like has evil dead vibes with like her reading the death book. And then they yeah, play like the right. little undertones yeah. of the doctor strange theme. So, uh, I do like respect to the King. Uh, so I like, I like that they're hyping Sam Raimi up, um, in this final episode. It sounds like, it seems like they're doctor strange is they're putting a lot of their marbles into that one. Uh, so I'm really curious to see how that works out because we had Scott Derrickson leave that project after he was like, Doctor Strange 2 will be the first horror movie in the MCU. <laughs> and then Kevin Feige was like, hold on a second. <laughs> hold on. Let's not let's not go that far. And then he left the project. Now we have Sam Raimi. But um, I love the band. I'm interested to see what happens. I hope this is really weird. I hope that's what we're going for. But yeah, it seems like that and Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Spider-Man 3 Part 2. Or the second Spider-Man 3. This is um, the third Spider-Man 3, sir. Right. <laughs> There's so many of them. I feel like they're, those are their two big things that are going to set up whatever's coming next in Phase 20. Yeah, so uh, I do like Sam Raimi nods. Um, that's probably the, besides Thor Love and Thunder, which is just going to be even weirder and just like more Taika Waititi <laughs> than Ragnarok was. Uh, that's like that's the one I'm looking forward to because Sam Raimi is obviously the goat. And then it's just like, it blends 
what he became famous for and like what he's really, really good at, which is just experimental horror um, with uh, Doctor Strange, which he is like his favorite comic book character, which is why he like threw nods to him in, in Spider-Man 2. Um, so it's nice to see him like just merge the two things he's really good at. Um, and I'm, I'm ready for it. There's definitely going to be a lot of weirdness in that movie. Um, yeah, there's going to be so many, so many moving parts in it. Uh, so when does that come out next year? 2022? Next year, right? yeah. Next May, so, I think. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll see. I feel like everything is going to just change from there. But <laughs> until then, I'm still with, I'm still here questioning <laughs> everything. <laughs> We're just in a multiverse without madness. And it's pretty lame. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I think that kind of gives us ideas of where the MCU is going. I feel like all the setups were pretty direct with like Wanda. Literally, they mentioned like the Sorcerer Supreme at one point, And then I guess Agnes is still like in the picture if they ever wanted to pull Catherine Hahn back into the universe with a couple million dollars. Um, so they, they left things the usual amount of open, which is nice. And then, yeah, uh, my guess, my guess is that. Um, what's Chiwetel Ejiofor's character's name? Mordo. Mordo. My guess is that he's gonna he's, he'll probably be the big villain, and then Doctor Strange and Scarlet Witch are like, we need help for the third <laughs> act of this movie, and then it's just Catherine Hahn just being her '50s self in Westview, and they come back and get her and set her free to save, and then she becomes a good guy later on, and then she's another person they can add to the MCU rotation. That's my guess. <laughs> That's actually what irritated me about her character was like her goal ends up being pretty much the same as Chiwetel Ejiofor's goal in Doctor Strange, right? Like he wants to take other people's magic because they're irresponsible with it. But like he was much more grounded and in my opinion is like one of the stronger MCU villains because they spent that entire movie working like him from good guy into angry magic thief and he gets really jaded and it's just like I think the Doctor Strange film in general is just like a lot more nuanced and more thought out than a lot of these origin stories have been whereas you know captain america thor captain marvel are all pretty direct um whereas like he's a very strong part of that movie and so it was just kind of lackluster to watch them do it um with (laughs) with less reasoning uh with agatha where she's like i'm gonna take your magic because uh whereas you know in 2016 we saw a whole two-hour sequence of pushing that character into you know what the right thing to do is to steal everybody's magic so yeah maybe maybe they'll flush her out like you said a little bit later on but we'll see yeah maybe maybe we have another um we have another uh sequence with dormammu again and we just go and torture (laughs) we go and torture him for another hour or so (laughs) that'd be great (laughs) uh but yeah let's let's go ahead and move on from wandavision um so this was a pretty big uh movie for or weekend for movie releases so we had coming to america we had chaos walking we had raya and the last dragon uh personally i saw raya and the last dragon uh which was a lot of fun i'm not too crazy about it um we can jump into that in a second did you get a chance to check anything out no just me thinking about my wandavision theories and how they all went wrong so nothing for me (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I made the practical decision to not, uh, go see chaos walking and and spend my weekend doing that. And, uh, also not to subject myself to 
coming to America, which uh, I'm my brain is thanking me. I'm just still the the I know that we always joke about how these movies missed their chance to put the like the like the number of the movie in the title like transformers put the four in there or whatever um but the coming to is making me um maybe think about changing my stance on that because it's really confusing it's so confusing to cut to, to reference both the original and now this this sequel i feel like you just have to call it the coming to sequel or something <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um but yeah let's let's go ahead and jump into raya and the last dragon then um, so this is the latest Disney movie, um, and it is, it's it's a princess movie, but it's much more like action adventure than it is like locked in a tower kind of princess, which is kind of the the vibe they've been going for lately, anyways. Um, so this is Kelly Marie Tran as Raya, who lives in an ancient Chinese ish land uh, that once had dragons. She's looking for the last dragon so they can fight off a plague that turns people to stone. Um, so it's a, it's an adventure. It's pretty straightforward. Um, basically the whole movie, she's just like gathering people from each tribe and they'll go visit a new tribe land and find their gem piece, find a, a random person guarding it and then team up like the Avengers, um, at the end and just like, um, so it's, it's pretty basic in its plot. Um, nothing too crazy there. The world is really cool. Um, I think a lot of the weapons are really cool. Like Raya has a sword that's like a whip thing and she can like use it as a grapple. Um, she rides around on a giant like pill bug dog is, is probably the best way to describe <laughs> it. Um, so there's there's a lot to like here, but I don't know. I just kind of walked out of it feeling a little empty. Like I saw it, it was there, but there's not really a lot to draw me back into it. Yeah, it's it's one of those where every so often Disney ha- comes out with these movies and you see they have like 10 people who have screenwriting credit. Um, and so with with Raya, you have two writers, um, but there's also eight other people who have story by credits. So you got to wonder if there was a few too many cooks in the kitchen there where you kind of reference kind of like a simple story where they kind of smooth a lot of things out just to kind of make it work at all. Um but that's kind of a bummer. I was looking forward to this movie. The, the The trailer looked really fun to me. It looked like a lot of Indiana Jones vibes, but apparently you say that that's not really a lot of what happens in the movie, so maybe that was good marketing by them to trick me. Um, I will watch this at some point, though. But is it is it worth the the premium access on Disney Plus? Because that's how it's coming out right now. Um, I used my AMC Stubbs membership, so I had to commit $0 to this experience. <laughs> there you go um, but it was it was good it was like it was a nice big screen movie and i do really like the indiana jones-esque sequences um it like knocks you right into one um the one that's in the trailer at the beginning of the movie and there's i think there's two more um but the more bloated like raya's crew gets the the less opportune it is for her to like single-handedly trek through a temple um so they do kind of abandon that that aspect of the movie pretty early on, which I was kind of disappointed with. Um, but I do really, really like the cast um, and not just the actors, but the characters themselves. Um, like there's a, a 10 year old boat captain named captain Boone, um, who just like <laughs> is, is uh, one of the first sidekicks they find. There's like a, a gang of street babies um, at one point that becomes part <laughs> of the gang. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, Benedict Wong is just really funny. Um, it's this big, like, giant warrior guy who walks around with an axe and, like, threatens everybody. And um, so so those those things really stuck out to me. Her, her cast of side characters are really fun. Um, I didn't ever really warm up to Aquafina's dragon character. Um, she just felt... Um, Honestly, she felt like she was written by someone else. Like she, she just, she doesn't fit with the vernacular or the lingo or like the world of everybody else. A lot of times in her dialogue, um, like everyone else is talking like, you know, like you would expect somebody in a fictional ancient Chinese land to talk. And then um, Aquafina's dragon talks like a 50 year old trying to sound cool to a bunch of middle schoolers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It really pulls you out of the experience, but um, there there is a lot to like here, and I think I think the main conflict in the movie uh, between Raya and uh, between the Fang clan um, is really strong, and there's some really good character dynamics between Raya and her dad, um, and Raya and her best friend who's in the Fang clan, um, and and so there is a lot to like, um, but there's also just a lot that is forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> is the Aquafina character is she are they trying to model her after like a like a Moshu kind of like sticky side character is that kind of what they were trying to go for yeah she feels she's definitely got a little more depth so she's not like straight okay. up like tag along character um she actually has a pretty satisfying arc herself i really just didn't like her dialogue like i think i think her journey <laughs> works really well but her dialogue just constantly like rips you out of it um but but they did do a good job of of keeping everybody pretty important even if their arc is pretty self-contained like all of, all of the side characters that they find along their journey have some kind of growth um that they end up finding by the end of the story which is really nice yeah that's cool yeah i'll probably check this movie out at some point uh at the it's interesting because Disney Plus goes back and forth with that the premium access. So there was a few things like Mulan; they just put straight on the on the Disney Plus, right? Or no, that was when no, they it paid. Was Soul. Yeah. Uh, it's right, Soul. And then like, then you have things like Mulan, right? That are just they have you have to pay the extra amount for. So I wonder if I don't know if they've figured out the best way to do this yet because it seems I feel like it's kind of confusing because they're going back and forth. And then me as the subscribers like wait do i have access to that do i not um i wonder if they start to hunker down on a specific way to do it or maybe soul was just the outlier and they're going to keep doing the premium access thing who knows i think soul was just to stick it to hbo max with wonder woman (laughs) i think that was probably the business decision um (laughs) but yeah this this was fun um I, i don't think it's the strongest disney animated movie we've seen in a while um but there's there's a lot to like um kelly marie tran does a fantastic job as raya um and i I read an interview where it talks about some of her more emotional scenes um was dialogue that she was making up or adding to um on the spot which is really cool um and it's nice to see her still be in the limelight after everything she went through with um the (laughs) the last jedi and then uh not being in the rise of skywalker hardly at all and so it was nice to see her rebound and uh in such a big role especially yeah i stand kelly marie tran she seems delightful so i hope that she continues to get get interesting things to work with yeah i can't remember 
which famous 90s actor it was. Um, oh, it was uh, Tony J from The Hunchback of Notre, Notre Dame. He's like, the only bid for immortality an actor has is to be cast in a Disney movie. And so <laughs> she, there you now go. she's got her her bid for immortality um which is nice and i I hope we see her as a leading lady um and and stuff like this and um you know just whatever project she's got coming up next yeah live action stuff too um she's also in monsters at work if i remember correctly so she's making the disney circuit right now there you go well i feel like they kind of owe it to her after (laughs) everything they put her through with star wars so um but yeah, that is Raya and the Last Dragon. And then uh, we're starting a new segment on uh, Movie Babble called the Babble Movie Club? Question mark? Maybe. Um, <laughs> we're still we're, we're still workshopping that name. <laughs> but basically, uh, once a week, one of us picks a movie. We all watch it, and then we talk about it. Um, so I went with a classic movie that I'd never heard of until I suggested it. Uh, so about a week ago, I was talking about All About Eve and, and Nick and I, before we got on, uh, were talking about how neither one of us had ever really been exposed to much in the work of Betty Davis. Uh, so I, I, I did a quick voice search on my, my Fire TV, pulled up a bunch of prime Betty Davis movies, uh, found one that looked interesting and decided to pick that. So this week we watched the 1951 film Another Man's Poison. Um, So this is a movie about a novelist um, who's been separated from her husband um, and then a man, um, a criminal, uh, breaks into her home and she finds herself kind of engaged fully in this um, scheme. I guess we can spoil it. This is a 70-year-old movie. Um, Yeah, why not? so, So anyways, a criminal comes into her home, kills her husband, he impersonates her husband, and then this movie is them. Um, trying to get away with that crime that they've both committed. Um, so so they're both trying to get away with crimes, and the best way to do it is to team up and pretend to be married. Weirdly, no one has ever met her husband, apparently. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I have questions husband. about that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's established that, like, it's not like they just got married the next day. Like, <laughs> they've been together for a while, and everyone's like, oh, this is what your husband looks like? I never knew. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, there's that element to it, but I, I think this movie worked really well. Like I was, I was really pleased with it. I don't know about you. Yeah, I have two overarching thoughts. One is that um, Gary Merrill, the lead, the lead role, the lead uh, male role in this, has an incredible amount of chest hair. Like he is just insane. Like that's the mountain of a man levels that I will never get to in my life. So every time he was like popping out his chest hairs, I was very concerned. <laughs> but. Um, and then the other one is like, yeah, I really like this movie. This movie was really fun. And um, it almost takes on, it's really interesting, I think, because the first 30 minutes um, almost play like a comedy because everything that is going wrong, everything that can go wrong with their scheme is going wrong. Because so they make this pact to say, okay, we're going to pretend to be married so that we can both get away with our various crimes. And then more and more people keep butting in. So there was like the one scene where, um, the Chris and Larry uh, come by. Chris is the uh, secretary, and Larry is the uh, male interest that Betty Davis is in, who's having an affair with. 
So they pop in and they're causing trouble. And then uh, the doctor, Dr. Henderson, comes back in and they're like, he's like, hey, what's going on here? And they're just trying to get rid of the body. <laughs> and then it's just like more and more things keep piling on each other. And the guy comes the next day asking um, uh, the uh, Gary Merrill's character to give this speech because he has so many because he apparently has so many uh, things to talk about from his uh time abroad in malaya i think is where they say we went but it's just all these different things that just keep piling on top of each other that just make their scheme more and more impossible that it's kind of i thought it was really funny at times because it's just they have so much shit to deal with because they're awful humans but it just keeps getting worse and worse so it was really fun to watch yeah in a lot of ways it reminded me of double indemnity um once it kind of gets into that scheme because that's a fairly similar premise where I mean, they're not both criminals initially in the in a double indemnity, but basically this couple comes together, um, frames the or kills the husband, tries to make off with the money, ends up squabbling amongst themselves, and then the the alliance, the unholy matrimony, um, falls apart. And so there there's a lot of similarity in that. Um, I do like that this is pretty much Betty Davis's movie, um, and she has she has some really good bits. I think towards the end. Um, where she ends up uh, poisoning um, her fake husband. Um, and then ultimately, like, the, the final shot of the film is her uh, being given the poison um, herself without the uh, person giving it to her realizing it. So she just laughs, and then it fades out on that, uh, which I think was a really strong moment. Um, so I, I was really happy with this. This was a good blind watch, because I, I read the sentence synopsis, but that was all I knew about this movie. Um, going yeah. into it. I knew nothing about this movie. Then you said, Hey, I want to watch it. And I was like, cool, we'll, we'll go on this journey together. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it is really fun. Um, it's, there's so many interesting, I mean, cause for one, this movie, the, these two characters are terrible people, right? Like George <laughs> Bates, the Gary Merrill person, uh, character, he's a bank robber who shot a policeman. Um, uh, Betty Davis's character Janet uh, killed her husband, <laughs> so she—they're both terrible. And the movie, the movie has fun with their scheme, but it never loses sight of the fact that these two are both just very bad people. And then that ending too, where they both die—it's <laughs> just for the perfect encapsulation of that. And I think the movie is really interesting in how it explores the Betty Davis character because she has this horse fury, who she is just head over heels for, and. She then at one point, um, George Bates kills the kills the horse and she says something to the effect of there's like no woman, child or whatever who I would not slay slay for this horse's life back. (laughs) So that kind of gives you all that you need to know about this character, how she would rather kill anybody else to have her horse back, which just shows how just cynical she is in her outlook on life. But. Um, I think this movie is also a really interesting look at control because there's a few different relationships going on where it's Betty Davis is really only interested in the Larry character because of the control she has over him. And then you have um, Chris, Chris and Larry's relationship as well, where they're kind of going back and forth and um, Chris starts to feel um, some misgivings about them when she starts talking to George about what Larry's doing with Janet but there's all these different things going on about um, who's in control, um, what do what do each character what do they want, um, and I think that's a really interesting look because they basically turn into this really 
messed up family. I think that's a really interesting. It's a really interesting way to look at um, a struggling marriage. I think because they do take on this um, husband and wife care figures for a while. So I really liked it quite a bit. Yeah, and it's really it's really fun to watch um, Janet uh, Betty Davis's character like trying to convince herself and everybody else that like she's not the bad guy in the relationship. Yeah. Um, whereas Gary Merrill, uh, George Bates is like he's always pretty upfront about his terribleness. Um, and so it's fun like as he's trying to walk her into that idea, um, and like confronting her with things she's done at the moment or doing. Like at one point, um, she cuts the brakes on his car, um, then convinces him to go out and catch. Uh, Larry before he he leaves permanently um, in an attempt basically to kill him um, and he comes back and figures it out and they have this really long drawn out conversation on the staircase um, where she's like pleading with him like oh I you know I, I really do need you to stay I need you I'm, I'm, I'm not that terrible <laughs> um, but then ends up with her like blaming him for everything and you know just trying to pin this all on him like she didn't kill her husband um, so there's there's a really fascinating dynamic there um, and then I also like Dr. Henderson uh, when he kind of comes in at the end and provides you like that murder mystery wrap up where he kind of explains how he knew everything. And when he really starts to confront um, Janet with with the reality of everything she'd done um, after she had just killed um, George as well, it's, it's really fun to watch um, just the floor disappear from under her. Yeah, this movie is almost functions as a play because it mostly just takes part it takes place in like the manor and occasionally they go on nice horseback rides through the countryside which 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 were lovely but most of the time it's literally just a character leaves or like george bates leaves kills the horse comes at comes back in soaking wet from the rain with a gun and says hey i killed your horse but you never really see any of that stuff and it's really just focused on the interactions between all the characters which i which i found really interesting and i don't i doubt if this is actually the case but I wonder, there's definitely, I can see a lot of echoes of this movie in Gone Girl as well, which I doubt, it's probably happenstance, but you kind of see the connection between these two relationships, both with like the Rosamund Pike and Ben Affleck characters in that movie, where they're both terrible people, but they're both stuck in their situation together. So it's kind of like, I mean, we do do reach a more... um, kind of steadfast we we do reach more of a like an ending in this movie um than we do in gone girl because that one's a little more open-ended but you do get the sense of we're both trapped and we're both fucked up but let's do it together kind of way and i think that in both situations it's a really interesting way to look at uh relationships so um it is fun i always i i really enjoyed looking back at this movie because it definitely makes you want to go and watch a lot more Betty Davis's stuff because she just commands the screen and she's just so good in every single every single moment so um yeah it, there was quite a lot uh, to like here yeah and I just I don't understand how uh you can drink actual poison like a fair amount of it and taste it and not realize it's not the drink you just had like two minutes before <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's, there's a lot of convenience going on here where no one knows no one has seen the husband except for a conveniently placed uh photograph on top of a dresser and then the poison kills you in like 15 seconds <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there's definitely a little bit of finagling going on but it's it's still pretty fun yeah it plays off really well and like you definitely see that coming f- well, a because you watch her like place the poison, but you like see how she's gonna trick him into drinking the poison um, 
pretty early on, but it's still like it works really well. Um, it feels very natural when he's like still trying to get his last up yours in um, by defying her and then ending up drinking the poison that she set out for him anyways. Yeah. And it kind of goes back into like they both they both think they have control, but yeah. they, really not n- neither of them do. And it's really it's really funny. Uh, yeah. The maniacal laugh by Betty Davis at the end. There should be more memes dedicated to that because it's just so good. <laughs> they just stole that from Joker. <laughs> They went back in time and stole that and put it in the movie. Um, but yeah, that was that was fun, and uh, it uh, it convinced me to uh, start only watching black and white movies on Wednesdays because uh, when like Wednesday is the day that I have the least amount of time to watch a movie, so I normally don't get home to like eight thirty or nine. Unfortunately, most black and white movies are like an hour and a half, so. Yeah, this movie just zips along. It's the best. (laughs) I'm committed to watching hour and a half long black and white movies every Wednesday. So thank you, Betty Davis. (laughs) One thing before we before we leave here, I loved the miniature that they used for the car (laughs) when it was on the cliffs. It was the most adorable thing (laughs) in this movie. It was. I love miniatures, even when they're very obvious, because there's like they're so they're so tactile, and they're clearly like a lot of thought that was put into them. But this one just looks so cute. It's the most adorable thing. Or it's like this, just like this little toy car that's not the wheels aren't moving, and they're just dragging <laughs> along this fake road. It is the most adorable thing. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I think like they actually, I think they pulled it off fairly well in the. Uh... I guess it's not really a chase scene, but like the storm scene. Yeah, um, it, is, it, they do, it does work pretty well, but it's just, it's so yeah. clearly a miniature that it's just, it's just so adorable. It's just like, <laughs> you notice it right away, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this was, this was a solid, a solid movie. Uh, would watch again. I can't wait to think of my 10 hour movie that I make you and Brennan watch for next week. It's gonna next be week we'll be doing all four parts of War and Peace. <laughs> hey we're gonna do this movie next week it's called joker <laughs> so just get ready for it uh what's the longest movie ever made it's like 21 hours or something like that we'll do that there's definitely something longer than that isn't it wasn't there a movie that came out a year or two ago but it was gonna be a month long or something like that it was oh gonna yeah it was like a live the... stream yeah it was something weird longest movie ever made is a perfect thing to wrap up with and we will use wikipedia because that's where all the true things are uh it is a movie called the innocence (laughs) which is a bangladeshi uh feature film based on love dreams politics revolution and the aftermath of the bangladesh liberation war features the deceptive turns twists of locality people struggles and aspirations cool so come in next week the innocence uh (laughs) better brush up on your bengali language (laughs) (laughs) i'm ready um but that is this week's episode of the movie babble podcast um next week we can't talk about wandavision so we'll have to uh i don't know yeah what are we gonna do with ourselves what do you what do you do if you're not talking about marvel like the snyder cut uh but yeah next week we'll be back talking about more movies um we'll have more marvel content two weeks after that um But remember, you can always check us out online at moviebevel.com.